This week in Retronauts, let's explore the third pillar. everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Retronauts. I'm your upbeat and chipper host, Jeremy Parrish, and here celebrating life with me in the studio, we have none other than, let's go clockwise this time. Cat Bailey, senior editor at US Gamer, Pokemon Master. No I, modesty at all. <laughs> uh, Henry Gilbert, features editor at Games Radar. Hi. And I'm Bob Mackey. I'm another senior editor at Games... What? No. I work at US Gamer. Help. Where am I? What? We're, we're just covered with seniors at that place, aren't we? Bob is going to defect over to Games Radar. <laughs> yeah, I blew it. God, Henry. We, we don't have a senior editor yet. Mm. Well, there you go. Talk to me later. <laughs> All right. So um, so I guess it's half US Gamer and half Games Radar people here this week <laughs> on Retro. I've defected. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so generally we kind of treat 10 years as the cutoff point for talking about things on Retronauts, which means that in about two years we'll be doing Retro Retronauts episodes. It'll be great. Um, and because uh, as of November 2014, the Nintendo DS is now 10 years old, I thought it would be good to revisit that system, even though I think it's actually still being sold in some limited capacity in retail. Mm. In America? I believe so. You okay. could probably buy a DSi somewhere, right? Yeah, I think I think there are still some games. If you go to being, Walmart somewhere, you could find Yeah, them. or a Kmart more likely. Oh, yeah. Like where no one ever buys anything. Yeah. They wouldn't have changed their stock out of Kmart. No, yeah. no, no. <laughs> They're still selling like Wario Land 4 new. <laughs> I mean, hell, I can go to GameStop and buy a Nintendo DS game without any problem. In fact, I do it fairly regularly. I went and got Aria Sorrow, not or Dawn of Sorrow, my, my apologies, just not, not too long ago. Oh, yeah? But but despite the fact that it's still something of a, a living entity, kind of in its, you know, you can hear the death rattle, but it's still out there. Um, it's, it's you know, 10 years old at this point and therefore a pretty significant uh, platform worth talking about. So we're going to do that. And I'd like to be really punchy and stuff, but I used up all my funny on the past two episodes that we recorded. You did. So, um, <laughs> I got this uh, double shot energy drink. Oh, man. I should you have gotten a couple that. of those. Uh, Double no, shot, I'll, that's I'll DS. probably die. Oh, it is. It is. It, it Whoa, works. Okay. it's Starbucks DS. I just opened this. You My two God. really are punchy. Wow. <laughs> that's what happens uh, when you record all day. Yeah, yeah well, this, uh, this, this studio is full of human funk, so it's, yep. it's getting into our brains. Um, anyway, so, yes. Uh, I don't know what episode of Retronauts this will be in terms of chronology. Right. But, but basically, at this point, the DS, the Nintendo DS, is 10 years old. And uh, so I'd like to cover, you know, why it's an important system, uh, but also the context behind the system. And, of course, the coolest things about the DS, which are the games. So it's going to be a pretty broad-ranging episode, and hopefully it will be a, an episode worth listening to.
Um, do you usually do like some kind of preamble before the show besides that, or uh, should we just jump into no, it? No, you can jump in. I mean, it's ho- however you want, Jeremy. Where were you when the Nintendo DS was announced? Mm. I was in college, and I loved my GBA. I had you – know, the Game Boy family was one of the only consoles at that time that I had purchased pretty much every variant of. I had a color. I had the mic, uh, the, the pocket. Um, I had the original, like, vacuum tube version. I had an SP. The what? The vacuum tube version? The original Game Boy. Wow. I, yeah. Oh, is that the, that the one that you can hear humming when you turn it on? <laughs> it's the one that takes kerosene for power. <laughs> yeah. um, the hand crank. So I loved my GBA, and Nintendo came out and announced this thing called the Nintendo DS, and they said the main feature is that it's going to have two screens. And nobody had any clue what the heck that even meant? Mm-hmm. I remember going on IGN and seeing like these bizarre mock-ups, which were essentially like a GBA, but they would like they glued a second screen on no, that, top that of was it. My, that was my mock-up. That was your mock-up. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody knew like what this thing was going to entail. And when people really? were going, okay, and they were calling it a third pillar. It wasn't going to be the actual successor to the GBA. Because they couldn't say we're killing the Game Boy brand like that, even though that's what it did. But they, but they the, didn't say at that. At the time, GBA was pretty popular, if I recall correctly. I mean, hmm. it, it, was, it was, yeah, it was fairly popular. It was definitely kind of keeping it, them alive while the, the N64 and GameCube were struggling to find a market. I do I do want to ask, though, am I the only person who still calls every Nintendo portable system a Game Boy? Like, oh, I'm bringing my Game Boy along. Or, yes. like, I packed my Game Boy. So I feel like that makes us old. The boy I, is dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I worked, uh, I guess I was working at Blockbuster Video when it got announced. And I was excited at the idea of the two, two screens, though intrigued as well. I remember... I think it might have been EGM, I read it in, that they they made it make sense of like, well, you see, you know in Mario and Luigi game, uh, in Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga, where you control two characters at once, Mario would be on the top screen and Luigi on the bottom, and they do different things. And I was like, okay, I, I get it now. Yeah, nobody talked about the touch screen initially, mm-hmm. right? They, they did. No, they said um, that one of the screens would be a touch screen. That was what made it sound weird, was one screen would be a touch screen. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Where where were you, Bob? I, I feel I, like this is you know the John Kennedy assassination of our of our generation. <laughs> like like Cat, I was also in college. I did not have a lot of money, so I did not get uh, one initially. But my friend Nick did. Nick Daniel, who does our logo and our T-shirts and stuff like that, he got one. And I don't think I was a luddite at the time, but the fact that games came on SD cards, I'd never seen an SD card in my life, or whatever you want to call they're those. They're not SD cards. They're, they're they're wafers, but they're right. tiny cartridges. They're essentially like the size of a card. But I'm like, what? That's too small. You can't put a game on a card. Like, what? Why would they do that? Like, I was just. I also thought Wi-Fi was magic too at this time, so I was not keeping up with uh, technology <laughs> it didn't as I do surprise now. Surprise me, because the Game Boy carts were getting smaller and smaller. That right? is true. Yeah. Because I remember seeing the original Game Boy cart and just being blown away by how small it was. And then the GBA had even smaller carts. It was amazing. And so when, of course, the DS had tiny, tiny little ones. Little baby carts. Mm -hmm. Little baby carts. I was like, well, of course. I mean, they're just getting smaller. Miniaturization is the future. Yeah. I'm afraid I'm going to, like, swallow, like, a Vita cart. It's going to pop out of my Vita and, like, land in my tray or something. Those are a bridge too far. Yeah. 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 Especially um, the memory cards. Like, those are half the size of the games. And $100. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's an expensive thing to lose. But um, I didn't get one because I was skeptical. But I guess we'll talk about what one is over but uh yeah it was interesting at least but i was like what what would you do with these screens like what like i don't want to touch a thing to control it like i, w- I was scared frankly i mean did, did you guys 
hear a lot of skepticism beyond yourselves or mm-hmm. were people excited about it? I think the first slate of games like also made people skeptical. Well, I'm just talking about the 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 announcement oh. like you know, so so to, you know to kind of give some history here. Um I believe it was announced publicly in February 2004 mm-hmm. uh, for release before the end of the year. The, the Game Boy Advance had only been around for less than three years at that point. That's crazy. So it was it was like, wow, what are you guys doing? That's I mean, true. that would be if, – if the new 3DS that came out this year in Japan um, and is coming to the, to the U.S. soon, like if that were an, a completely separate platform from the 3DS, mm-hmm. if it were like – you know, some bizarre new thing that had some backward compatibility with 3DS, but was not 3DS. That's that's kind of the equivalent we're talking about here. I think I I believed I took Nintendo at face value when they said like this is not replacing the Game Boy. This is just another thing. Oh, I, me too. Yeah, I believe that third pillar thing. So I just thought. Oh, this will be like, is this like the new e-reader or something? Or what? Is this just a side thing? Wow. Like, yeah. I didn't think of it as the next console. Mm. Well, the impression at that time was that Nintendo was in real trouble because of the GameCube, uh, which had obviously not been doing very well at that time. And if I recall correctly, the PSP had already been announced at mm. that point. Um, uh, yeah. Maybe oh. e- E3 2003 around then? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so it... it it was a tough time for Nintendo in general, so it just lent to the sense that Nintendo completely lost its mind and no idea what was what was happening, and that its days were numbered. Yeah, I mean, like there the, was. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Kind of like with the Wii, I think there, there was a similar reaction. The Wii was a I little think, more exaggerated. But the Wii, I think there was more recep- more positive reception to the Wii because DS had already proven mm. uh, we can we true. can do something way outside the pale and it'll it'll succeed. Yeah. I mean, once they announced the Wii controller and like actually showed it. Uh, people were kind of like, okay, this could be interesting. Motion yeah. controls, all right. Before they took that picture of Jeremy playing it that everybody uses. But the DS, like, no, everyone's like, okay, what's going to... Are you thinking the Wii U? No, I, I, this is a whole other thing. But I swear, like, when I've I've searched, like, the reveal of the Wii controller, like, or maybe it is... No, you're right, it is Wii U. Like, Watt is, like, standing in yeah, front yeah, of yeah, yeah, or something. Yeah. I think I'm in that picture, too. Yeah, you are. <laughs> But when – so everybody was kind of going, all right, well, let's see what happens with the Nintendo DS. And then at E3 2004, they came out and unveiled it for the first time. Yeah. So um, so my perspective is I think a little different than you guys because I was already in the inside. I was embedded in the press by that point. I was uh, – You're part of the had been Had been working for 1up.com for like six months at that point. Mm. So, you know, we were – um, adjacent to EGM and games for Windows. Well, I guess it was Computer Gaming World at that point. Um, GMR, you know, a bunch of magazines. And the universal response within the press was just pure skepticism and cynicism. Like everyone said, what is this? This is this makes no sense. This is just the stupidest idea. Nintendo is desperate. I mean, the company's president, Hiroshi Yamauchi, even came out and said, like with this release, with this creation, we will either rise to heaven or sink to hell. So they they acknowledge the fact that this is our hail mary pass, mm. and um, I, I I don't think you know people really knew what to expect from it because Nintendo just seemed to make one bad decision after the other. Um, you know, Game Boy's original successor was going to be Virtual Boy, and that landed like a wet fart. I mean, it just, like, no one wanted it. Um, the N64 was successful, but mostly in the U.S., and never really had a hope of catching up to PlayStation. GameCube, even though it was a great system, 
uh, and actually, you know, more on par with the Xbox and the PlayStation 2 in terms of power, like it just, it didn't catch on. And um, so like you said, Kat, you know, Sony announced in, at E3 2003, we're developing a portable system and everyone said, well, that's it for, for Nintendo. Yeah. They didn't actually reveal the specs until the following year. But mm-hmm. just the fact that Sony, who had systematically dismantled Nintendo at every turn over the past 10 years, was getting into the portable market, which was Nintendo's final saving grace, like the the last desperate hope that they had of remaining profitable. Like that just seemed like game over for every, you know. Yeah. And, and, and for it to be such a weird sounding system, two screens, <laughs> who needs that? And it was like you said at the time of Sony's complete utter dominance of all things video games. Like they were video games. I mean, I think they're kind of neck and neck with Microsoft now, right? Aren't they for the most part? I mean, they're. But if, if you're just looking at next gen or new gen systems, yeah, like it, they're number one, like with a bullet, right? Totally. But Sony, I think the gulf of sales or. I don't know. I feel like they were so much ahead of like Microsoft. Yeah, we were we were still a few years away from 599 US. That's dollars. right. Yeah, and I mean Grand Theft Auto brought them there for the most <clears> part. The PS2 was absolutely it, Sony was the peak of its power. Yeah. The PS2 mm-hmm. was by far the number one system of that generation. So. Yeah, that, the feeling that's among the, my... the number one system ever. Like that. That's something important to state is yeah. that it is PS2 is the best selling console that's ever been made. Yeah, the feeling among my friends was kind of like, uh, I, I hope Nintendo's okay. Like, we, uh, my friends were mainly Nintendo fanboys, and we were definitely the feeling, I hope Nintendo's okay. I don't want them to lose, like, the portable market, too, once the real company, Sony, comes in and takes it from them, just like they did with the other, with the home market. And that was, that was the narrative at the time. Like, that was the assumption within the press, was mm-hmm. that Nintendo didn't have a chance against Sony's portable system. And, you know, once once Sony revealed the specs and it was basically like a tiny PS2 in your hands, um, there was all kind of hyperbole around it. I don't know if you guys remember back, you know, the, the DS and the PSP launched about a month apart in Japan. Mm-hmm. And um, – or I guess actually within the space of like two weeks. And, uh, you know, there were like really snarky photos of um, – People playing PSP together, and then um, someone would write like in Picto Chat, "Hey guys, anyone, anyone?" Yeah, yeah. were those on One Up? Uh, I think that was somewhere. I think that was EGM. I think Mark okay, Donald yeah. was, was responsible for that. <laughs> and I love the guy, but yeah, like he was definitely part of that overall sensation that this thing is stupid and N- Nintendo is stupid <laughs> and everyone is doomed. Uh, I remember John Davison wrote a, a blog post about how he would eat his son's uh, sneakers. If uh, PSP didn't wipe the floor with DS and Nintendo didn't exit from the market, so that was that was not isolated. That was not something unique to the Ziff Davis offices. That was that was everyone. Everyone had trouble making sense of this system and what the need for it was. Why we would want to buy a system in addition to Game Boy Advance. Why do we need two portable systems? Um, and I, I think the the third pillar, you know. Uh, that that talk was was meant to kind of give them an out in case the DS turned out to be a virtual boy and mm-hmm. flopped yeah. again. I mean, we have the benefit of hindsight now. But you know what? Introducing a new system that is not the successor to your old system that's going to cannibalize sales of your system that's only three years old is a little bit crazy. It is. Yeah, it is. No, I, I mean, without hindsight, like, it seemed bonkers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the interesting thing is no one, 
Oh, actually, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I think they've, like, cast, they have cashed that chit now that they can't, they couldn't get away with that today. If they said, oh, no, we had this, the new 3DS isn't, or if they announced the 4DS next year, like, <laughs> no, it's not supposed to re- replace the 3DS. They'd be like, you, you're lying. Like, it is. This is your next thing. Like, yeah, we know how this works now. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't even try that with 3DS. It was basically like, you love DS, well, you're going to love 3DS even more because it's the DS in 3D. (laughs) And that took a while to catch on to. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the um, I think to to really understand the the thinking behind DS though, you have to look back into history beyond Game Boy Advance mm-hmm. and see kind of the evolution of uh, Nintendo's handheld systems and you know getting getting back to the whole um, the origins of handheld systems with Game and Watch. Like I actually don't think that anyone at the time heard oh it's going to have two screens and thought right it's going to be like um, you know some of those double screen. Game and watches, yeah, Yeah. like that 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 concept was sitting right there, but no one really caught on to it because Mm -hmm. maybe we just don't know history well enough, which is why Retronauts exists, (laughs) or maybe it's because you know people just didn't think like, well, that's something they did thirty years or twenty years ago, twenty five years ago. Surely they're not going to just revisit that Mm -hmm. concept now. That doesn't make any sense. I think at the time we weren't. uh, Some people didn't realize that like Nintendo employees are for life like the, if the, the game and watch people not all of them but some of them are still there like and they they don't forget a good concept right like, and Awada especially you read Awada asks that's a lot of them are just him going like I love Nintendo history let's talk to old men who still work here yep yeah and of course the progenitor uh, the creator of of game and watch was no longer with the company Gompei Yokoi uh, who left the company kind of regretfully and in shame after the the virtual boy turned out to be a gigantic flop mm-hmm. but you can definitely see his fundamental philosophies in the Nintendo DS and with DS they were really getting back to what made the Game Boy work which was here's a system that's not super powerful but it has this kind of edge in its capacity to do interesting things that no other system does with Game Boy that was you know just play portable video games really cheaply and run forever on a pair of batteries or four batteries. Um, With DS, you know, like it turned out the specs were way behind the PSP. It was more like a portable PlayStation as opposed to a portable PS2. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the launch game was Super Mario 64 DS. And that port of an eight-year-old game didn't really look as good as it did on N64. Nope. Whereas PSP was all about, like, let's give you as an, ex- an experience as close as possible to PS2 and make that in your hands. The screen on the PSP was twice as big as the, P- uh, the DS's, either of the DS's screens. Um, that was all people had, could talk about in 2004 was just how amazing that screen on I the mean, PSP it's, was. I mean, it's important to consider the the impact that the physical element of the PSP represented. Like, it was a gorgeous gadget. It was very much Sony working in the, 
we are Sony, the company that makes gorgeous things. We are about elegant design. Yes, it's expensive, but that's okay. You want this because it's – look at it. Just it's look at it. It's worth it. Yeah. And the, yeah. It was, it was the child of the Sony store, definitely. I, mm. The first time I ever held a PSP, though, I was underwhelmed. And this was in 2005, early 2005. And I went into a Best Buy and I was like, do you have like PSP demo units anywhere? Because I really wanted to see this thing in action. And they're like, oh, yeah, we got one in back. And they pulled – they brought it out and I tried it. And the thing that my overriding memory was the loading. And then it loaded up into Twisted Metal, which looked kind of dark and kind of eh. And the the little – the cars on the screen were really small. And I was like, oh, that's not as gorgeous as I thought it would be. And are you talking about the, the what's what was on the screen or are you talking about the system itself? I'm no, talking about like – The system itself was okay. It, it was yeah. okay. <laughs> well, talking what? about the comparison between the two, um, with the DS, I mean, it was look, it looked like a toy, the first one, and mm-hmm. it also had things that made it seem uninviting. Like I don't know if you guys remember, it was ugly. It had yeah. the frigging thumb nub. Yeah, that it's like you're not gonna, you're not going to have an analog stick. You're going to have a virtual analog stick, which yep. I think they gave up on after a few they months. They did. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, that's mentioned in the notes somewhere. Oh. Metroid Prime Hunters and Super Mario 64 DS both used the virtual thumb nub. Uh, and after that, they were just like, okay, this is stupid. Yeah, but I mean, mm-hmm. it shipped with that nub at, for a while. Yep. I think I got my Mario Kart one in 2005, and it still had the nub. Okay, yeah, could you be- explain the nub really quickly? I'm trying to... It's like a thing it. you strap to yeah, your thumb. Yeah, it was like a little... It was like a, like a cell phone strap, except instead of strapping it to the system, you put it around your thumb, and it had a hard plastic, like a little nipple almost, yeah, that you could weird. use to... Oh. Uh, touch the bottom screen. So, so the bottom screen of Super Mario 64 DS was a map of of the game world, like an overhead view map. But it also functioned as an interface. Mm-hmm. So, if you didn't find that the D pad was satisfactory, which it's not, um, then you could use the deep the 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 analog nub to control the system on the bottom screen. Which, you know, okay, that, that's kind of like the predecessor of the, the virtual controls on a lot of iOS games, but it just was it didn't feel good. Like, it mm-hmm. felt really awkward and, and weird. So you like to talk a lot about how you felt about the system at E3 2004. Like, could you recap that really quickly? <laughs> Thanks for prompting me. I was about to go there. Um, I actually didn't get to see the system in person at, mm-hmm. at E3 2004. That was my first E3, and I was not allowed to do cool stuff. Um, I was like, I want to write about games, so no one's writing about Puyo Puyo, so I'm going to go write about a preview of that. There's a Puyo Puyo game in 2004? There was. Wow. Yeah. PS2? Yeah. All right. Yep. No, uh, one, I, no one wanted to write about that, so I did. But but the um, the demo that Nintendo showed at E3 2004, like this was clearly a project that they were assembling hastily in response to the PSP because that that system, like – even though the layout of everything looked the same as the final units, like the actual design of it was very different and the plastics were terrible. It looked like yeah. this cheap piece of garbage. I mean, it looked like a – Bob said a toy. It looked like a bad toy. Yeah, I mean, it looked it, like a Polly Pocket laptop or something like yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was really crappy looking. Like it – you know, between the PS1 level graphics and the dopey thumb nub thing and just the, the sheer chintziness of the – the 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 system itself, the construction, like no one came away from E three two thousand. Maybe maybe a few people did came away impressed, but most people came away saying, "Wow, this thing is just going to stink it up, and Nintendo is dead, and PSP is going to be amazing." Here's the interesting thing: is that my, from my perspective, sitting at home, 
following the coverage of the Nintendo DS, I was like, oh, okay, so that makes sense. And it's the next step up for the graphics because it's going from the GBA, which was essentially a Super Nintendo, up to what amounts to an N64. Okay, well, that's kind of cool. And, oh, it's going to have Wi-Fi so I can play st- uh, games online? Oh, that's awesome. I can't wait to play Pokemon online. But see, this the system did not exist in a vacuum. It was not like, here's the GBA successor. And this is this is actually kind of the big deal about DS is that it actually had competition. And for the previous decade, Nintendo's portable systems didn't have competition. Game Boy, you know, it had to deal with Lynx, which it trounced handily. And it had a little more competition from Game Gear. But even after a while, Sega just realized we're not going to make a dent in in the Game Boy market because <laughs> our system's too expensive, it's too battery hungry, blah, blah, blah. They and just didn't, like, have the, they didn't have the backing for it. And it was like one of like five projects they were trying to do at the same time. They can't right. do Game Gear Genesis, 32X, a Saturn, and an arcade division. Like that's – a lot of stuff. Oh, and Pico. Like, they had all these different oh platforms. God. Yeah, so, so you know, after that, Nintendo tried to do Virtual Boy. That didn't work out. But it was okay because no one had bothered to one-up the Game Boy yet. So they just kept making Game Boy games, and Pokemon gave them a second wind. Uh, at the end of the, the 90s, you had Neo Geo Pocket and Wonderswan, and we're going to talk about those in a future episode. But, like, those were more compliments to the Game Boy. Like, they were never serious competitors. Even Wonderswan, which... Did fairly well, sold several million units in Japan, mm-hmm. uh, had backing from Square, from Bandai, from Capcom, Namco, Konami. Like, that still was never a real threat to Game Boy. So when Nintendo came out with Game Boy Advance, there was no competition for it. And it seemed like they you know, had smooth sailing. But then when, when Sony came in and said, yeah, we're going to do a handheld system too, and then showed it off at 2004, E3 2004, like, it was just this sudden shock to the system. Like, all of a sudden, Nintendo had a real competitor. It wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't like a fly-by-night SNK. I mean, I love the Neo Geo Pocket, but that that thing never had a chance. Never. But, But PSP managed to be just a fantastic piece of technology, and it had the backing of a company that had proven itself repeatedly capable of being one step ahead of Nintendo. So, as as an entity in itself, like if, if you know things had just kept going as usual, sure, DS would have been fine. It would have been great. Like here's the new Game Boy, but but that wasn't the thing. The thing was that there was this for the first time this serious competitor to Nintendo's handheld dominance, and Nintendo DS had to go up against that. And I, I would say in its first showing, it did a really poor job of it. It had some neat games, but I mean, really, the launch game was an eight year old N sixty four game that looked nicer. On N64. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that that was not a compelling mix. Um, and it was, you know, at the same time, Nintendo was still promoting Game Boy Advance. They came out with a new Game Boy Advance model a year later, the, the Game Boy Micro. Mm-hmm. Like, Love when Reggie pulled that out of his pocket. Like, that was a, yeah, it was a great little system, yeah. but, I mean, there was this huge fragmentation. Like, the DS wasn't just competing with Sony. It was also competing with Nintendo's own handheld. Own handheld. So um, it was a it was a tough spot for DS at that point. Mm. Like it's it's not hard to see why people just thought this thing is wow. What are they even doing? I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still thinking about thumb nubs over here. Yeah, yeah, thumb nubs. I didn't like that first design from the pictures I saw for B3 of like Man. yeah that it just I mean I didn't bad I didn't photograph I didn't touch it in person but uh, I saw it mm-hmm. and it looked just as bad you know in the flesh as. Uh, as it did in photos, and thankfully, the 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 actual final model that shipped was 
better, but it was still kind of a weirdly designed system. Ugly. Yeah, mm-hmm. like it was really thick, and the plastics weren't that great. the The silver color just seemed sort of cheap. Mm-hmm. Like silver plastic is never good. You know, that's another reason I thought it, it felt like a lesser system to Nintendo, or like a like not the replacement for the GBA because it came out in America first, and I was like, if they really cared. They'd have had this ready for a Japanese <laughs> launch first, and then America. Yep. And you know the 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 early lineup was just miserable. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, what do they have? The game shipped with a demo of Metroid Prime Hunters, a game that didn't actually go on sale for like a year and a half, two years. It, it was. But it took a long time. People were. I remember people being fairly impressed by Metroid Prime Hunters. Sure, it was like this neat little demo. It was first person shooter on the. It was a neat little demo, but <laughs> there was just a tiny little bite of a game that didn't mm-hmm. ship for ages. Like, they wouldn't commit to a release date for yeah. it. There was Mario 64, great game, but also eight years old. Feel the Magic. Yep, Feel the Magic uh, was, was like actually really cool. Long, like, that was right? probably, yeah, that was probably the highlight because it was different, it was stylish, it was unique, it, it did something, you know, like, it, it was played entirely with a stylus. And had you performing all these like crazy actions, and it wasn't like an action game, you know, in the traditional like let's go blow up something. It was a game about impressing a lady and, and getting her to fall in love with you by doing crazy random stuff. It was very, very Sega like. Mm-hmm. The 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 Dreamcast spirit had not died from Sega at that point, and it was all condensed into this one little game, and it was very creative and fun, but. What else was there? There was like uh, a racing game. There Ping was Pals. the herbs, oh, and then there Ping was Pals. Ping Pals, the game. Yeah, whenever people want to talk about how much WayForward sucks, they point out Ping Pals. But the thing is, Ping Pals was commissioned by, I don't even, the Majesco? Okay. I don't know, it was, it was commissioned by some publisher who didn't, right. who didn't realize that the DS would have that functionality built into it with PictoChat. So it was just a chat room then? It was basically a chat okay. room, but with more a... with avatars and, okay. and like prizes and stuff. But that, that was still it. It was just a chat application, which someone thought, oh, that would be really neat. And then, you know, shortly before launch, they re- they revealed, hey, look, PictoChat, it's built into the system. Mm-hmm. And so they released this game that had no value whatsoever. So bad. Also, I want to mention Sprung, which was Amer- an American attempt at a dating sim. Uh, was it Correct. American or was it French? It's, uh, well, it's Ubisoft, Ubisoft, so it's French. But, yeah. you know, a non-Japanese take on a dating sim, which was um, – I'll talk more about Japanese genres on the DS soon, but um, weird. When, when the DS came out, it was one of the more kind of momentous – holiday seasons ever like the ps2 was just really strong at that time we got halo 2 we got metal gear solid 3 2004 um, was like one of those like 1998 yeah, yeah. half-life 2 san andreas it was, it was an amazing year yep. and metroid prime 2 i remember when the ds came out walking through a GameStop. i think i went and got like final fantasy one and uh final fantasy one and two and seeing the ds sitting you know on a shelf and neglected l- yeah looking at it and going Eh. <laughs> and then walking out. It just, yeah, it just felt like the wrong system at the wrong time. Like, yeah. It just had And it even no got a reprieve because the PSP had been delayed until early 2005. Uh, yeah, I didn't get it at launch. It was one of the first few Nintendo systems I didn't get at launch. I didn't I, get a DS until early 2006, and it was free. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. I, I, I got it in 2005. But I do uh, – one other thing about Super Mario 64 was that I – if I may slightly name drop here, I got to I got to interview um, the director of 64, Koizumi, um, and he – for 3D World. And I asked him a question about Mario 3D World like, oh, you just made 3D Land and it was your first, you know, 3D Mario game on a portable. And so did you learn any lessons? He was like – 
actually, we did make Mario 64, if mm-hmm. you remember. I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, maybe I am. So you infer- got spanked. Maybe I'm inferring too much tone into his thing, but I felt like he, he was kind of like, why do you guys always forget Mario 64 DS? I worked hard on that. Oh. I, one of the things that I remember about the early days of the Nintendo DS was that they were just determined to show the value of that second screen and that touchpad, and they were coming up with... Oh, yeah. They were shoehorning it in in so many different ways and coming up with awkward control schemes. But ultimately, most of the best games for that system, the bottom screen was a map. And like mm. It kind of became a running joke with a lot of the press for a while. Was- so that's probably true for our audience, but the mm-hmm. games that made DS a success <laughs> yeah. actually were the ones that were driven by touchscreens. And that was... Okay, so, you know... But that wasn't until later, right? Until 2005? 2006? Yeah, but, okay, so, you know, being being in the press, I was surrounded by the cynicism about the system, and I was pretty cynical, too, but I like portable systems, and so I had a soft spot for it and said, you know, this thing can play my Game Boy Advance games, so I'm just going to buy one of these, and I'm going to be the guy at this company, like the one person at this company who gives this thing a chance and cares about it. So I took... Actually, I, I, no, I don't think I did buy a DS. I think I just took the one that they sent to one up for review because no one else wanted it. And Jeez. I took all the games with it and was like, you know, I'm just going to take this um, with me over Thanksgiving and then Christmas and play the games and review them. And I'm just going to follow the system for, you know, the next year until it disappears. And um, I'm, I'm going to be the one to to play it and, and write about it. And it'll be like a fun little thing that I did. And we can all laugh about it someday. But I took it home with me to visit my family uh, for Christmas. And at the time, my nephews, uh, I had a couple of, uh, of uh, sorry, um, cousins, yes, cousins, um, who were, you know, probably like nine, ten years old. And they were curious to try it out. And I showed them Mario 64 and thought, oh, yeah, they'll, they'll like this because it's, you know, a Mario game. It's 3D. It's really cool. It's kind of an impressive technology demo. But they didn't like the game. What they liked were the mini games. Oh yeah. And I watched them play these mini games very intuitively. Like you know, even even the this my six year old cousin, like who didn't really play video games. He had a little bit of a learning disability at the time. Um, like he really got into it. And something clicked in my brain, and I realized we've been really cynical about this system. But this system wasn't really made for us. Like, this is made for a different person than the people who are writing about video games. And it actually has the potential to catch on if, if people, you know, discover it. I don't know if that'll happen, but um, after that point, I actually had this genuine regard for the system. Like, I, I don't, it really shaped how I looked at the DS. And Nintendo did manage to kind of, you know, save their bacon by reaching out to that market with games like Dogs and Animal Crossing and, you know, stuff like Mario Kart, that was a, that was a huge yeah. uh, turning point for the system as well. But it was those, those kind of casual-oriented games that could be played by anyone at any pace, and you didn't have to worry about buttons and configurations. You just touched stuff on the screen and it responded. Like, that made the system big. Yeah, so it, I, I, I am not, like, saying, yeah, I was, I was the only one who saw it. It was, it was just one of those things where I kind of out of pity almost, I gave the system a chance and then happened to witness something that made me say, oh, wait, I get it. Okay, I've been looking at this all wrong. See, I primarily focused on the GBA through most of 2005, but when I did play 
the DS. I would play, say, Phoenix Wright. Um, I played a few other games like that. And I, the thing that I remember about the DS at that time was that it introduced me to new gaming experiences that I hadn't really had on a portable system up to that point. For example, I had never played a visual novel um, at all. Like Phoenix Wright was my first ever yeah. visual novel, and it really grabbed me, and it was such a different experience. It was so much fun to read, and it was such a Nintendo DS game, the way mm-hmm. that it used the, the touchpad, even though it was but a DVA game. game. It was a DVA game, yeah. but it felt like a Nintendo no, DS game. That's true. Game. That's why I like about the DS. Like it made Japanese adventure games viable for America. At when, that time, yeah. I was ignorant of its origin as a GBA game. It felt like a DS game to me. Later on, you started getting games like Etrian Odyssey and those sorts of games, and you started getting sort of almost PC experiences on the system. These games that were like PC RPGs where you were like mapping out hexes on the, the, the bottom touchscreen. It was amazing. Yeah, I mean, I'm, my brain is still in, like, DS launch mode right now. <laughs> so thinking about games like Etrian Odyssey or Dragon Quest Nine that were so big and immersive and so much like sort of the classic video game concept, like, it almost seems like that was a different system. And I guess it was because really the, the other big turnaround for Nintendo DS was the DS Lite, which managed to make the system into something that was much more physically appealing. It was gorgeous. Yeah, that clamshell design is not so great. What what turned me on the on the DS was the um I I, I bought it mid two thousand five because uh, Advance Wars was almost there, and I was like, well, I will buy this when Advance Wars comes out. Like, that that will be the tipping point for me. And then right before that, there was some sale. Like, they put out the Electric Blue version, and if you bought it at Best Buy, you got Mario 64 DS for free. So I was like, sure, I'll do that. And 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 not long after that, um, when when Nintendogs came out, or a little before Nintendogs came out, like, I was on the thing that, that became Club Nintendo. I was a member of that. And so Nintendo, just out of the blue, sent me an email like, Hey, we're going to send you a copy of Nintendo's DS early, like just an early test copy about it. I have no clue why. Maybe they wanted to try to spread word of mouth or something through through their biggest fans. They did that with yeah. Brain Age too. They gave away copies of it to everyone who was at GDC. Oh wow! Yeah, but yeah, I played, and then I and when I played Nintendo's, I I thought it was nice, but uh, it and and I played it. I played it slightly obsessively for about two weeks. And then stopped for a little bit, and when I came back, my dog was so dingy that it just—I felt horrible. Wow! And I was like, I can never come back. I'll either have to never stop playing this, or I have to just cut it off right now and be like, nope, never going back. That dog's dead. It is astounding how much that game sold. Like, I—I I guess I never realized how popular it was. But if you go on Wikipedia, it has sales numbers. It's like 27 million combined sales for Nintendo Dogs on DS. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Those are like Grand Theft Auto numbers. Like, mm-hmm. it's crazy. And I and and not multi-platform. Like the like Grand Theft Auto oh, yeah, yeah. too, but that I, I also recall when Do- like Nintendo came out in Japan, some people I was thinking too, like, and this will just be a hit in Japan that never even comes over here. Like it's just it's not nor it's not a normal game. They will bring it over here. It right? was such a novelty. Yeah, I was like, people were going, "Wow, like what? Look at this dog. It looks so realistic, and I'm interacting with it. Put hats I'm, on him. I can do all. It's so cute. Like everybody." I felt so guilty when I stopped playing that game because I was like, no, the dog is going to die. My Shiba Inu, no. <laughs> but some of the games that came out in 2005, just for reference, Mario Kart, you already mentioned it. Oh, yeah. Dual Strike, Dawn of Sorrow. Yeah. Meteos was a great little puzzle game. That's uh, when the Phoenix Wright came out, the first one here. Oendon 1 came out that year. Canvas Curse came out that year. Partner- We're finally getting a sequel to that. Mario and Luigi, Partners in Time, Animal Crossing, Wild World. 
like just a really actually and most a pretty... of it most of it was kind of the fall. Yeah. So yeah, when I came back from from that Christmas, I was like, okay, I'm going to get behind the system. I'm going to promote it to the best of my limited ability, like in my one up blog or whatever, and just try the games that come out and give them a fair chance. Uh, I, I ended up buying the the white Japanese DS, which was much much nicer than the American. It's like the same physical body, but the plastic was different, and no region so, locking, and so. no region locking back then. But the the plastic was different, so it felt nicer. And also, it was just like I don't know. There was something really nice about that. I kind of missed that system. It was a really good one, um, even though it was the original chunky design. But you know, around the time that um, summer hit. Yeah, we started seeing more games. Um, Dawn of Sorrow came out, yep. uh, and I imported that and like beat it in like a day. I was just like totally stoked by it. Um, and there was a there was an event up at Nintendo's headquarters, um, kind of in the early fall, um, where they basically kind of laid out their plan. You know, they they started talking about the blue ocean strategy and about you know disruptive technology and doing things a different way than everyone else was doing. And it started to make it sound like maybe they did know what they were doing with mm-hmm. the DS. Like they actually had a plan and it wasn't just this crazy desperation move to compete against the PSP, although it probably was. But it was like one of those things I, I think where they just kind of like said, uh, what, do we, what do we have to compete against the, the, the PSP because the Game Boy Advance isn't going to cut it. All right, let's just get this out there, make it happen as quickly as possible and then figure out what to do with it later. Um, but, you know, they managed to figure out something to do with it, and they had a pretty strong strategy from the beginning. My recollection by mid-2005 was, hey, the Nintendo DS is starting to get some really good games here, and the PSP doesn't have any games. Like, we just have Luminous. Uh, hey, they had a bad Ape Escape game, right? <laughs> there was a bad Ape Escape game. There was Metal, uh, Gear, Metal Gear Acid. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. And yeah. can't name anything else. Pretty much. Um, so in like by the middle of 2005, I was I, I had hacked my PSP and was playing NES games on it. You and everybody <laughs> and that else. Was, uh-huh. That was pretty great. Yeah, I remember when Chris Kohler uh, took his uh, Retronauts regular. Chris Kohler took his hacked PSP to E3 and showed Mario playing on it to Shigeru Miyamoto. I was like, do you know about this? And he was like, what? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I, it's kind of brazen to show a pirated copy of someone's game to them. But I would think that, yeah, the NCL's employees would just like... Um, Descend just, upon yeah, him. Yeah, just grab him like, how did you get this? Tell us everything. <laughs> the muscle. Looking back on this like list of games, though, that came out in 2005, uh, from Dawn of Sorrow to Mario Kart to Animal Crossing, that was... A pretty strong lineup for the so first it was, year. It was yeah. a hell of a year. They yeah. put their yeah. A-teams on that they did. big time. Yeah. And like you could tell that they kind of faded off on GameCube and were really focusing on, mm-hmm. on DS. Well, and the, like, it, it was unfortunate for the GBA that some of its late games yeah. got completely overshadowed by the DS. Well, like, people knew about Minish Cap, but they still kind of missed it. I played Minish Cap through uh, mm-hmm. on the DS yeah. over Christmas. Or like Drill Dozer. Oh, that, that, was, that actually, I had to import that Minish Cap copy because it came out in Japan or in uh, Europe first. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't remember. Was 2005 like the last year for uh, GBA games in America? No, because... 2005 was when they released the Game Boy Micro. Oh, okay. Yeah, so Pokemon they were, Emerald came out that They were year. publishing yeah. games until 2006. Yeah, but no Mother 3. I think Drill Dozer was 2006. Yeah, Mother 3 should have happened in 2006. And the original uh, Rhythm Heaven. Uh, Final Fantasy 5 and 6. Um, came out. 
Oh, in 2007, Final Fantasy VI came out. I yeah. remember. Sh- oh, man. Oh, yeah. Wow. I take it back. Oh, yeah. They were still releasing the Final Fantasy games. Yep. Yeah. I played, so Game I've, Boy Advance continued to survive, but, you know, it was it was almost like this vestigial thing mm-hmm. because, hey, you could just pop the cartridge into your, your DS yeah. or DS Lite. And it's somebody that didn't – I didn't own a an SP, so I, I went from a Game Boy Advance original oh, wow. to a DS, so it was like – Incredible oh. to me. Yeah. <laughs> I can see. Well, I mean, I did play. If I was really desperate to, you know, see the game I was playing, I played it on my Game Boy Player on my GameCube. Mm. That's, that's how I did it. I mean, even the the original DS, like the fat model, was still um, a by far at, at that point the best way to play GBA games. Mm-hmm. I and actually had the the second model of the SP with the brighter screen. That was an amazing. Oh yeah, like someone that. stole it from my desk at work. It was what? really awesome. Yeah, Jeez. I used it like once and it disappeared. That's sad. Yeah. I still have mine. It's great. Man. Oh well. Um, so yeah, that was. It was definitely the best way to play the games. It was just a good screen. The light was mm. even better it was because it was brighter. Too. Yeah, slightly bigger. Um, so it started to kind of coalesce. It started to to fall together. What was the turning point? Because for me, I always felt like the turning point, weirdly enough, was when uh, Tecmo came out and said, we're making a Ninja Gaiden for this thing. And people were like, well, uh, the Nintendo DS has officially arrived. That's that's an interesting perspective. But that I don't was think the, that you're was, going to hear most people say that. Well, that was in my mind at that time in 2006. In your mind. Okay. Because Ninja Gaiden at that time was a really big deal because Ninja Gaiden had had a really successful reboot on the Xbox. I don't think anyone bought Dragon Sword. The original, but nobody bought Dragon Sword, that's true, but when it was announced for the Nintendo DS, and Dragon Quest was announced right before that. Dragon Quest Nine is a Nintendo DS game. People were like, well... Nintendo DS is a, definitely a thing now. People I mean, in Japan, are paying attention to it. Once, once Yuji Horii shows up, he's like, "All right, I have crowned this the system." Like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's how it works. He's the there. kingmaker. Yeah. Though I think they're trying to make that the case with PS4, but we'll see. Yeah, they're they're hedging their bets with Hyrule Warriors. <sighs> I, yeah. I just want the little metal metal babble that I, I can really, put on my PS4. I really want that too. I just want to add that. But I'm trying Dra- to buy a house, so it's not a. <laughs> it's not gonna not gonna fit my budget. Dragon Sword wasn't that bad. Oh, that's fine. I'm, I'm it sure great, it wasn't. Yeah. But I I just don't think that most people were like, oh, Ninja Gaiden. Well, this changes everything. I, I have a theory. I, I okay. Oh, tell it, me it, your it was it was theory. Brain Age completely, like 100. percent It, oh, God, it yeah. sold pseudoscience to Americans who were like, I want to be smarter. This and is so, true. Yeah. It was on – there was an ad for it on the Discovery Channel and my partner saw that commercial and said, we have to buy this game immediately. Yeah. And we bought it and we're like, oh, wow, this is so great. I feel like I'm getting smarter by the day. It was it was fun. I mean yeah. you could see through the illusion pretty quickly because I don't know if I've said this before, but the game would show you like a diagram of your brain when you started. Like this is what – this is how much this minigame uses your brain. This is how much this minigame uses your brain. And the minigame that used the most of your brain was the reading silently part. And I was like, I'll just read books then. Like I don't need this game. Like I'll just go back to reading books again. So uh, smart. Kind of college like, boy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Brain Age was a, a big deal. I Personally, I feel like there was no single turning point. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was a 
you know, kind of like a snowball effect mm-hmm. where you had, you know, Nintendogs and then you had Animal Crossing and then you had Mario Kart and then you had the DS Lite and you had, you know, Brain Age. Like all of these things happened in mm-hmm. sequence. It wasn't just like there was one thing that made everyone say, oh, suddenly the DS is worth paying attention to. It was more a matter of look at the critical mass the system has built in a year and a half. This is amazing. Yeah, um, by oh. sorry, go ahead, Henry. Uh, I was say yeah. The anecdotal evidence from my life was that it was it was it was Mario Kart and Brain Age that was the turning point for me because when I got I, I was the first in my f- peer group to get a DS and when I showed them Mario Kart, I was like, look, I am playing this online. Like, let's go let's go to McDonald's and play it online. You can do it there. And I showed them that they're like, whoa! And then like several of them bought it and we did multiplayer on it. And when Brain Age and to a lesser extent Big Brain Academy came out, like. I was showing my friends this and like Big Ma- Big Brain Academy like had some cute multiplayer stuff in it. And then when I showed my mom Brain Age, like that is when I saw like the kind of Oprah style pseudoscience aspect of it. Like uh, introduce it to a whole different group than than gamers. And mm-hmm. so yeah, and then that's that's when I could see like, yeah, this is gonna be this this could be a big deal. But I never thought again, Brain Age 2 was a, was kind of like Nintendogs where I thought was a is the game hosted by a Japanese talk show personality. <laughs> yeah. Like it's sold on his name and they're not changing it. Like he's still the host in it, uh, in America. It like, could have been like Dr. Phil's like brain challenge or something. Exactly. You know? they, they did a lot of risky things, like kind of kind of counterintuitive things with DS, things that didn't feel focus group market tested mm-hmm. and they, they paid off. Yeah. Like they, they kind of took a chance on the market and the market said, yeah, okay, sure. Well, they, at that time they really had to turn things around because I mean we've kind of harped on this a little bit but we've already talked about how Nintendo was struggling at that time and well, their previous strategies just weren't cutting it. They had to take some risks and the Nintendo DS definitely paid off. By early 2006, I my every, everybody's opinion definitely seemed to have turned around on the system and when i my friend ended up buying a second one cuz he was that kind of person i think the zelda one had come out by that time a gold ds had come out by uh-huh. that time mm. so he gave me his launch one which i had until earlier this year actually i just sold it um and i ended For up a getting a tremendous amount of money i'm sure uh no <laughs> <laughs> i got tetris ds and i got mario kart and i think metroid prime hunters had just come out and advanced wars dual uh dual strike came out and brain age and then new super mario brothers came out that uh oh yeah Can't that made about that. you oh, and yeah, so like i was like wow look at all was, these games that was 2006 so yeah that that's kind of like the the capstone of the first year and a half but yeah uh, i definitely have to agree about mario kart i remember that was kind of the point at which a lot of uh, people I worked with went from being like, eh, to, whoa, it's Mario Kart. This is a really good Mario Kart. It's not weird like Double Dash. It's a lot of fun. It looks great. I can play it online with people. I remember, you know, um, I went to that media event at Nintendo and they gave everyone a copy, an early review copy, like a month ahead of Mario Kart DS. And just going home and playing that over and over again and getting online. And, you know, there weren't very many people online. Because only a handful of people had the games, but there was always someone to play with because everyone who had the game was just like, I've got to play this. I remember um, getting into a race randomly against Tycho from uh, the <laughs> arcade, and after our race was over, I got an email from him that just said, this game is amazing. That was all it was. <laughs> like, people wow. really, really dug it, and yeah, it made a huge difference. Um, and it is still like the best, I think... If if you don't count Wii U, uh, uh, Wii Sports pack-in numbers, it's the highest-selling game in the last ten years. Is is Mario Kart? Wow. Yes, like, I believe it. 
if you count hockey numbers and Wii Sports is like over 80 million. Right, but, but yeah. it had a little help. It was mm-hmm. really good. What Actually, my th- my DS that I bought came with Mario Kart and like a racing stripe sticker. It was the red DS. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's uh, let's take a break. Okay. We're- yes, we're well into the generation of touching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2006 was I, I think the year I played the DS the most because I had moved to Berkeley. Uh, and I didn't, sh- I didn't ship my systems to myself until uh, like four months into my time here. So I just had my DS, and in between my fruitless job searches, I was like, well, I can just keep playing Advance Wars. I should get level 10 with every character and unlock their secondary costume 200 hours later. I did it! Yeah! <laughs> 2006 was the year I moved to Japan, and I had my DS fat with me, and I saw DS lights on the train, and... I had only seen them on the internet. Like, people <laughs> had posted impressions. I probably read your impressions um, on 1UP because mm-hmm. I was reading 1UP by that time. And see, But seeing it in person, seeing the DS Lite in person was like, whoa, I have to have one of those because it was so much sleeker, uh, thinner. And the first time I ever got my DS Lite, which was, I, I think, I, I bought one in Japan. So it would have been the... So it would have been like fall 2006. Uh, the 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 light was dazzling, like it was mm. so bright yeah. compared to the DS Fat. It was amazing. It was it was like seeing all of these DS games in a whole new light for the first time, and it, it looked great. Well, unlike everyone in the room, I've never been to Japan, but uh, <laughs> uh, 2006 was great for me for the DS because of two games that were very similar but very different, and that was uh, Oendon and Elite Beat Agents, mm. um, which are these amazing rhythm touch games that are... In Japanese, it's based on, like... What is it based on? Like cheerleaders? Like Japanese yeah. cheerleaders? Yeah, I mean, it's called Oendon. Yeah. The dudes I mean, you see not... in the sports festival episodes of every anime. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I, basically, you tap along to the beat, um, and it just integrated really, really well, the rhythm gameplay, and then they brought it over here in a different form as Elite Beat Agents, which I guess didn't catch on. But uh, I guess I guess all those contemporary songs are now oldies, like uh, Hoobas, your Hoobastanks. Well, your, it wasn't uh, really. There, it wasn't really that many Charlotte. contemporary songs. I mean, it did. It had, it had Skater Boy on it. As well, but I remember that uh, Elite Beat Agents more for like um, September and uh, Material oh, Girl and Material yeah. Girl or the uh, there a Chicago song? There was yeah. a really deep yes. Queen, well, a deeper Queen cut in there too, but I can't remember the the song for it. But that uh, was the had Mona, Highway Star. Yeah, the Mona Lisa stage was the Queen. I think song. I was born to love you. Was yeah, the Queen I song. was born. Uh, I, yeah. I could just sing it. Oh. I was I was talking earlier about how the Nintendo DS introduced me to new kind of experiences. Um, visual novels were one, and rhythm games were definitely another because mm-hmm. I had missed out on Guitar Hero, and so to be able to play these songs on my DS with vocals, this was a big deal for me because I was like going. Oh my gosh, they actually could fit vocals onto these carts. That's amazing for a portable system. And it, uh, the art's great. This is an incredible experience. So, you know, I'd have my headphones on the train and I'd be bopping along to the different songs and elite beat agents. Yeah, that game made me hate the song Jumpin' Jack Flash just because, like, I <laughs> could, Oh, that level was so hard. hard. I was on the hard, the, 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 I couldn't, I never unlocked the cheerleaders because I could not beat it on the hardest, the, the third, second hardest difficulty. I, I would get like, 
two-thirds of the way through the song. I was like, okay, back, forth, back, forth, da, 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 no! <laughs> My partner beat that game on the cheerleaders. She beat Jumpin' Jack Flash wow. on cheerleader level. and you, you have to be perfect to beat that. Wow. Because if you make one mistake, you go into a death spiral and you can't finish yeah. the song. Oenda is actually harder. They made it easier for Americans, but it's still pretty hard. Jesus. Yeah. Great well, games, though. Great games. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I think the the big release in 2006, though, was New Super Mario Brothers, which we touched on very briefly. But um, that was kind of uh, almost like a renaissance for Nintendo. Like, it launched – it put put Nintendo back into a, a kind of game design they hadn't really done in a long mm, time. Yeah. I mean, there were some platformers, you know, for, for GBA, but they were never from Nintendo EAD. They were never – you know, like core Mario platformers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as a Nintendo EAD mega fan, like it, it for the longest time, it felt like they had closed the book on 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 two D with with Yoshi's Island. Like, yeah, I mean, we what we got was Super Mario Brothers DX for Game Boy Color, and then the Super Mario Advance games. Mm-hmm. Um, and New Super Mario Brothers was actually made by the same team that did those ports, but at that point, they'd run out of ports. So they said, well, let's do something new instead. So instead of just making, you know, like a sprite-based Mario, they they did the 2.5D thing with polygon, uh, polygonal, gra- polygonal graphics. Which I, the 2.5D thing is my least favorite thing about the new yeah. Mario. Yeah, it's it's the new games are kind of ugly, and I think I mean I never liked the first one. I guess we can talk about how we felt about it, but they really just did that over and over way too much. Like I think there were, aren't there six new Super Mario Brothers games? There's no, there's four. There's only four. It's God, overkill it by like Nintendo standards, yeah. but it's new Super Mario Brothers, then two, and we. we and then we, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. What about Super New Super Luigi Brothers? Does that count? That's DLC. Uh, uh, yeah, that's that's just an add-on to. I really uh, hated the soundtrack on New Super Mario whip, Brothers. Whip, whip. It yeah. really bothered me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, New Super Mario Brothers. Like I bought it, fully expecting to love it every second of it, and I eventually did beat it. And I I like the final moment where Bowser Jr. throws like the bones of his father into the cauldron to <laughs> resurrect so, him. It's so weirdly dark yeah. for Nintendo, right? Like, yeah, when you kill Bowser, he like to like boil him in lava, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> moving he, he actually like, actually kill Bowser. Yeah. yeah, but the game itself kind of bored me and I for a long time I was like what is wrong with this is this the soundtrack I'll tell is you, it the level design I'll tell you know. what it is Kat I think this is what it is usually a Mario level gives you the tools you need to do things in that level in New Super Mario Brothers it was like find the mini mushroom then go to the stage you need it in then survive long enough to where you need it and then you'll be able to do what you want to do and it was I like really too many steps that. yeah, yeah, that, yeah that's Kirby why and the it. Amazing Mirror did the same thing on GBA where it would be like kind of this open world but You'd go from level to level, and you needed to have the right power up from a different level to get through to the, some of the secrets. Mm-hmm, yeah, kind of, kind of poor design. And Mario World did that a bit, where it's like you can't find a feather in this level, but if you come here with a cape, you can get a secret. But it w- didn't feel as painful or as or tedious. Or kill Yoshi. Or kill Yoshi. Yeah. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, uh, well, I also felt new new Mario. It didn't have the one thing, like the thing that, like, oh, we had this. Very this brilliant idea, and this is why we're making another Mario. It was just like well, the brilliant idea was let's make an old style Mario game. Yeah, I guess that kind of was it. But like, I was looking for like a new, a new really novel power up or right. Yeah, the big mushroom kind of sucked. It was like well, they only did it. I I think I read an interview with them where they're just like the the mega mushroom just breaks the level, so we only did that with two levels because we didn't like breaking it or however they did it with a few. You really saw it, but it looked great in videos. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I mean, my I have this vivid memory of E3 2006, or no, 2005? Yeah, yeah, so it was right when the Game Boy, or the, sorry, the DS 
was starting to gain some real traction. And they showed that game off for the first time. And um, they had it in Nintendo's booth. And uh, the Ziff Davis booth was right like right by Nintendo's booth. So I actually snuck over there before the show started on the first day and played it and ran back to the booth and wrote up impressions on the game so that we had the first impressions on New Super Mario Brothers uh, on the internet. And that article was huge. People were really excited about it. Mm-hmm. And that game sold incredibly well. It's tens of millions of copies. It's you know, it's not quite up there with Mario Kart we, uh, Mario Kart DS, but it's close. Mm-hmm. Like that game has sold incredibly well. So even though it's not impressive to us, like it's kind of important because it it tapped into something that Nintendo and and really no one had managed to touch into at that point. And you know this this kind of corner of video games that had been forgotten, and they said, "Hey, no, this can be viable again." And I don't think it's really that great a game. I mean, I was one of the few people who gave it a a good but not perfect score at the time that it came out, because you know most people had given up on two D platformers at that point and had stopped stopped paying attention to the genre. I'd, I'd continued to follow them kind of obsessively, so I was like, you know, in the grand continuum of things, this is not that great a game, but like it's still you know. It's still good, and in the grander sense of things, it was actually a really important game. I mean, that style of game has become viable. Like, it's become acceptable now, and it's mm-hmm. because of New Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, we definitely wouldn't see, like, a Rayman Legends if if there was new Mario or, or any – or all those uh, – yeah, you probably I mean, wouldn't see – You know, the maybe, maybe those I'm, – I'm sure those games would have come back eventually, but – I really think that was like the kickstart that it needed, the, mm-hmm. the jump start. It well, must have uh, really annoyed Sony though, because they're just trying to be cutting edge with the PSP. Like this is our awesome piece of tech, and it's like we made a like a pokey old Mario game, and everybody loves it on the DS. So it's just like wow, they must have been like ah. Well, that defi- that defines a mid two thousands in general for Sony of just like hey, we gave you the best thing ever. Like don't there's going to be so many USB ports on this system? <laughs> what else could you possibly want? Sony actually wanted to just Trojan horse a new <laughs> a new media. And beat the iPhone. That was the big thing. They didn't see the DS as their real competition. Mm-hmm. The, well, the the iPhone or the iPad. Yeah, the, the iPhone. IPod was. Well, I, iPhone didn't. Okay, iPod. Yeah, but was I was iPod, say, iPhone didn't exist at that yeah. point. But they well, knew it was coming. They knew gaming on the iPod and later the iPhone because was the iPod Touch was out. Several years before the iPhone, correct? I thought or, they came out at the same time. Really? Huh? Okay. But you had games on the click wheel iPod. Yeah, I know. I played them. They weren't good. <laughs> <laughs> they were there. I mean, mobile mobile games existed in a much more mm-hmm. cogent form. But in they Japan were going already. for and movies. There was also... They were going for movies. Well, there was also the, the Engage. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, the Taco. And that was coined at my website, or well, before I was there. I came uh, the... As far yep. as I know, the first Christian person, Nutt, yeah. yeah, Christian Nutt did the side, the side talking in the infamous picture for Games Radar. We were, we were talking about the the PSP as a media device. Going to retro gaming cons, nothing is sadder than seeing a box of UMDs, like the most obsolete <laughs> format ever, the worst movies ever. It's like I think the most useless piece of material and on the planet is like uh, Rob Schneider's The Animal on UMD or something <laughs> like that. Like just like these these forgotten movies from from the early two thousands are did available. The Cowboy Bebop movie, and though. yet oh, oh yeah, did. yeah. I don't like getting ahead of myself uh, to us too much, but. I mean, is it fair to say PSP won Japan over DS? No. no. It, its numbers weren't even close. PSP was popular over there, much more so than here. But DS yeah. still greatly outsold Man, it. by 2010, 2011, the PSP was all I saw over there. Well, that was because of Monster Hunter. But by that mm-hmm. point, you know, Nintendo DS had had a great run. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, but I, I would still say the, those Monster Hunter games didn't outsell Brain Age in, in Japan. And I'm, I'm still going to say I saw more people playing Dragon Quest IX mm. than I saw playing Monster Hunter. It's interesting how the PSP and the DS's like kind of hit respective histories are intertwined, so that we just can't help talking about one against They're, the other. I mean, they they exist as contrasts to one another, mm-hmm. and the the you know the the UMD like I've never really understood it because basically they repurposed mini discs, but the appeal of mini discs was that they were rewritable. They were you know uh, a, a volatile format, whereas UMDs was just read only. So it was giving people. An ex- existing format in a different form with less capabilities. Like they just, yeah, it was it was a really weird choice. I think I think at the that point they were still kind of married to the idea of proprietary media because digital distribution didn't happen, and you saw them experiment with that much more actively than Nintendo did with the PSP Go. But that was a a disaster because of just poor planning and a lack of respect for their consumers. Ah, the Go, that's but, a whole you know, Yeah, that the PSP Go like. Such a good idea done so badly. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, whereas Nintendo, you know, they were much more kind of steadfast. They released the DS Lite, and then in 2010, the DSi, or 2009, the DSi came out. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was their foray into digital distribution. But they did it in kind of an incremental step. They had games that were exclusively downloadable. They did not allow you to buy their retail games as downloads. Mm-hmm. Um, and the DSi was also a way to Trojan horse in regional uh, lockouts, uh, yeah, which, that's when the which was really started, which was sad. Yeah, but I mean, that which was. Which is unfortunate because through 2006, I pretty much only played Japanese games. Oh, man. Games I, on my I imported so many DS games. Yeah. Um, that, but I mean, that was really. I don't even think they really cared so much about region locking as about a way to lock out piracy. Yeah. Like that yeah. was I mean piracy you can't talk, we, you can't talk about DS without piracy because I mean if you saw people playing PSP more than DS in 2010 mm-hmm. it's because DS had been slaughtered by piracy at that point. Yeah, I knew a lot of people uh a lot of Japanese people, teachers and that sort of thing who had the little the R4 cards um which and they said yep that's how i play my games like R4 was everywhere in yeah. japan i heard from a representative of a of a publisher on 3DS of saying or on a, a publisher on the DS this was real late in the DS's lifespan, but like they said, Europe is a dead co- like we treat Europe as a dead country because they just all have they don't buy the games they just have the R four cards full of bandits and thieves. Yep. Nintendo kept trying like each successive new game like wave of games had new, had new protections. Also, and um, within a month they had a new patch that would beat it. Also, no, I mean, it kind of reminds me of the. Sorry. Oh, sorry. No GBA slot either. Was that also to help lock up piracy and to No, I think it was because by that or? point they were just like, no one cares about DA, mm. GBA anymore. The, the GBA was dead. This was 2009, 2010. That's the true. GBA stopped being a real thing since 2007. You could Pokemon if you got a DSi. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, they're dead now. <laughs> now they're all in the bank. They're so, yeah, the um, – the the my friend my, my I guess the point at which I realized whoa piracy is a big problem here like I'd heard about it but I went down to a wedding in Orange County and um, some of my wife's cousins and their friends were running around uh, you know DSs and I was like oh hey so what games do you have and they started naming all these games and I said oh wow that's that's quite a lot and they all pulled out their R four cards and I said oh they they, <laughs> they were, were like, like here let me let me show you the games I have. Like, I mean, that's information okay. wants to be free, Uncle Jeremy. Yeah, yeah. R4 was easy to get. You could just get it on the internet. 
And if you lived in Japan, you could just go to Akihabara. It was there on the store shelves yep. um, to the point uh, until I think Japan actually had to ban them yeah, in like I mean, 2009. Nintendo took aggressive action. Mm-hmm. I mean, they went after website importers like PlayAsia. <laughs> they went after – like they, they seized all kinds of shipments. Not and, unlike how they shut down game rentals in Japan. Yep. Same deal. But, you know, game rentals I think you can make a oh, yeah, justification yeah. for. But piracy is just, you know, it's straight up theft. And it I, was it was really killing the system. And I, we, we were we were talking in the intermission about why hasn't Dragon Quest Seven for 3DS come over here? Because Dragon Quest Nine sold really well. But then they, you know, Nintendo published Dragon Quest Monsters 2 or Joker 2 and Dragon Quest 6. And those things tanked because at that point the DS market was dead. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's fair to look at those numbers and say, oh, well, 3D, you know, 3DS Dragon Quest Seven wouldn't sell because I think it would. Uh, the market's different. Like they've built up the 3DS market again. But yeah, between iOS and uh, the, the DS piracy, like that just mm-hmm. – it wiped out the market. I did like that the, the DSi interview introduced all those downloadable games and that, like, it was the type of – it was the size of game that, like, Nintendo hadn't worked in in a long time. They were making just bite-sized games and that they got better at on the 3DS. Like, they, I, I can't think of anything on the DSi that was good to say, yeah, like, Pushmo. Like, Pictobits or whatever was really good. Um, um, was that the one where you are, like, touching colored blocks and then you're putting them back on the screen and you're, like, unlocking, like, a sprite picture? Oh, you mean pick, Picross? Pick, no, it's not Picross. It's like it's called pick pick the bits or something. I'll look it up. I don't know. It's cool. I well, mean, there was a Shantae game that was oh, good yeah, if yeah. small. Yeah. Um, the ultimate Mr. Driller game, according mm. to producer Hideo Yoshizaki, is uh, is the DSI uh, Mr. Driller Drill Shrill You Drop. He said that's that that was his final game. That's like he's with with that game. He's done everything he wants to do with that series, and that's that's yeah, kind of to, the final expression. I need to download that one. It's I, good. I played uh, Dragon Quest Wars on there too. That was a favorite of mine. You know, I skipped like, that one. It, it is very kiddy. I mean, it's like it, it's yeah. like a baby tower defense game, right? Kinda, yeah. Well, well, no, it's it's turn based. It's turn based, and they, it was technically it was made with the Advance Wars team. Like, so the idea, well, Intelligent Systems, is, his name is on it, but it is like. Across the crossover I dreamed of, of the Dragon Quest meets Advance Wars, <laughs> huh. but it, it's just very simple. But it is it's a turn based strategy game with touch controls, with mm. slimes fighting drakies. That sounds like a good idea in theory. Mm-hmm. It's worth five bucks. Yeah, I think the DSI came with a gift certificate or whatever for five bucks for the store. Oh, so yeah, they're like, you know, go on the line and you can figure out what what happens when you do that. They should have done that with the Wii, but they never did. Capcom. So there was Dark Void, which was a terrible jetpack <laughs> game. They made a retro-style mm-hmm. uh, game, a yeah, platformer that was probably better than the actual no, no game. No, probably about it. For the DSi. The, the, for some reason, the, it's an interesting juxtaposition. I don't know why they did that, but I'm glad they did because it's kind of a funny approach. I think it yeah. was just a labor of love. Yeah. Guys, right? Probably, yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the, the thing that really I think uh, – well, there were a lot of things that made the DS so great. But I, I think for people like us, the appeal was that it was really the this, this sort of last bastion for a classic style of game that had you know pretty much been relegated to portable systems and you know 
there was there, there there were the GBA games, and then the DS was kind of the final stand for that. Mm-hmm. It ended up not being the end because um, once that sort of became unviable on consoles, indie games picked up on PC, and that's where you find that now. Mm-hmm. But you know, at the time, it really felt like. This is it. This is the end of an era. This is the last we're going to see of the classic 2D Castlevanias or Mega Man side-scrollers or like, you know, uh, old-school sprite-based Dragon Quest games or like, you know, Final Fantasy remakes or whatever. Like it was really this kind of um, – I don't know. Like you, you could see all the things that you loved – coming together and rallying this one last time. And at the same time, there were still inventive and innovative type things going on. Like The World Ends With You is kind of a classic Square Enix sprite-based RPG, but it's also something totally different and weird and unique mm-hmm. and all its own. And Hotel Dusk was, I thought, like, Oh, yeah. Really. I love you, that game. If you put it in context, so it's 2000, like 2006 to 2010. What was happening to the Japanese game industry at this time? It was kind of going up in flames. The PS3 and the Xbox 360 were out by this time. Things were going bad, and RPGs in particular were disappearing. Like you were just having a harder and harder time finding Japanese-developed RPGs while they were all moving to the Nintendo DS. So if you're into that style of game, you kind of had to move over there. And So that's why the Nintendo DS for several years was pretty much my main console. Well, that and I... I was so steeped in that kind of scene in those years that, like, because that's where all the Japanese games were, yeah, I guess basically. If, if you look at that era of Japanese development, you can see on, on consoles it was them spending too much to make games they thought Americans would like and they didn't. Then meanwhile, they were making the games they wanted on, on DS and, and PSP to, to a lesser extent. Like, mm-hmm. just because that was cheaper and they knew... They they took less risks. Like now that it, I think it's turned so much of just like we just make games for Japan. If you guys want to play it in America, then fine. But we're making it for Japan first. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. So you have like the last remnant on Ugh. PS3 and Xbox 360, <laughs> yeah. and then you have Infinite Undiscovery. It's another one, right? Yeah, and then you have um, you know the drag or the the Saga remakes on game on, on DS. Um, those never came to the US, but mm. I'd much rather play those than Infinite Undiscovery, even though or. Yeah, definitely independent on Discovery or The Last Remnant, even though that's that's an okay game. Yeah. The DS was the first place I got to play Dragon Quest V. And now Dragon Quest V is one of my favorite like RPGs ever. It's, yeah, me too. It's that's because it's one game. of the best games. It's a I, great it's an amazing game. And I'm really grateful that I had a chance to play mm-hmm. it on the DS. And that just kind of speaks to like how good the DS is. RPG library. Yeah, really publishers was. were willing to take risks on DSK for a while mm-hmm. uh, until the until the market bottom dropped out because of piracy and everything. Well, with Dragon Quest Five and Six, though, those I those were published by Nintendo, and I see those as like Nintendo. No, Five was Square Enix. Oh, was it still oh, okay. Square Enix? Well, it didn't. Thought... It didn't do as well as they wanted, so oh, okay. that's why they didn't bring Six. Okay, over. so Nintendo. All right, because yeah, I just remember like Nintendo kind of had like to pick up the torch on those things, and that's kind of where. I see Nintendo at now, like, that, that's the role they're in now, that they see these Japanese developers that don't want to publish something in Japan or can't afford to, or, like, people like Platinum that need a publisher. And so Nintendo's like, eh, we'll do it. Come on. Let's, we, we like your stuff. Maybe we can sell it as an exclusive. Let's right. give you money. Like, what like, could possibly go wrong? Yeah. And the Bayonetta 2's sales, I think, is kind of 
That's in Japan. How about the U.S.? I the, I didn't see it on the MPD list, but why would you? Like, it even it would never would appear on there, even right. if it sold like a hundred thousand, which would be a good case scenario. Like, so I I'm betting not great. Yeah, which is, uh, has any platinum game ever sold well? Like, I Bayonetta broke a million. And I, so, well, okay. I think Metal Gear Rising did, but you know yeah. that, that had that had help. It did. So now we're in a now we're in a new age where Valkyria Chronicles can be a huge hit on the PC. Uh-huh, so yeah. who knows what this even means for Japanese development? Yeah, it means everything's going to be on Steam. I'm, I'm okay cool with that. that. Yeah, yeah, all right, <laughs> Jinx. I guess I have to buy a PC. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's let's just kind of um, recap here the advantages of DS. Like, why did it succeed? Software, yes. Oh yeah. Hardware, yes. I will say the ability to just close your damn system and walk away from it. Yes. Yeah, like instantly. Sleep mode. Yeah. GBA, there were a few games that tried sleep mode. I remember um, when I was reviewing Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga, going to a midnight showing of some crappy movie at the theater near my apartment. And like to kill time, I would, you know, play work on the game and then put it into sleep mode. But it was so complicated. You have to like go into a menu and choose to switch it off. And then you had to hold down a button combination wow, to reactivate okay. it again. Yeah, just t- closing it. So good. Yeah, I would say that Nintendo was ahead of its time. Because in 2004, we were still using the click wheel iPods and that sort of thing. And they came out with the touchscreen, which was still a fairly novel thing in 2004. Well, by 2006, 2007, touchscreens were everywhere. Like... So, or 2006, yeah, 2007, we had touchscreens everywhere. So the Nintendo DS, in its own way, seemed modern, whereas the PSP seemed oddly archaic because that t- that it did not have a touchscreen. Then the Vita had, like, two touching, touch things. Like, yeah, you want to touch stuff? <laughs> uh, exactly. That's actually such a bad idea. <laughs> oh, God. And I it allowed so for a newer, more kind of tactile way of playing games and new game possibilities. So developers were like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Of course, it was also cheaper to develop for. The DS itself was cheap enough that a wide variety of people could actually buy the thing. And eventually it hit critical mass. All the developers started coming over to the DS. And so it became self-sustaining and it was a success. It was so big that even Rockstar made a game for it. Like they made yes. they made Chinatown Wars, which is like crazy. And then they immediately regretted it because they ported it to everything. And I think even openly said like this didn't sell for crap. We're not making a DS game. It was, ever. Yeah, they they totally misread that. But it became I, alluring this, enough for them. Yeah, I mean it was it was funny because um, I remember I was I went to Japan or not Japan. Sorry, went to New York for I think the We Fit uh, interviews and event like uh, mm. back in two thousand eight. And um, on the flight back to San Francisco, there was a guy from Rockstar who recognized me. And we started talking and he just kind of idly said, like, if you were to make a, uh, a Grand Theft Auto game for DS, how would you make it? Like, how would the design be? And I thought and said, well, you know, I think I would probably um, make it sort of like top down, like the old school Grand Theft Autos and use the touchscreen to control it. And I talked for a little while and he started to get this kind of sick look on his face. And after a while, he was like, I need you not to ever tell anyone we had this conversation. Wow. And I was like, oh. You could have blackmailed interesting. him. Interesting. So I guess we can expect to see a GTA game on DS pretty soon. 
one so thing that was that was kind of funny. Uh, I will say one thing: the popularity of the DS made looking at a wall of games in a GameStop or a Best Buy like an absolute nightmare because there was so much like garbage ware. Like every, people and things you've never heard of would have games based on them. Elf bowling. Elf bowling was like the good side of the garbage pile. But I mean, like all those not, weird psychics and stuff who had licensed games. Yeah, based yeah. On. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but not to, as bad as the GBA. The GBA. I had. don't think so. No, DS was worse. Every the every library, the library on DS is so much bigger. The GBA was all like crap license games. I by mean, the it was end. it was like Nicktoons crap. But, yeah, but this is like every but DS. There was so much more of it. Like every bad like dating reality show had its own game, like the Bachelor DS game or like Joe Millionaire DS or whatever. Like everything, like every bad reality you show. Still see that stuff in like Office Max. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm. But now they're all apps. I think you know. Yeah, <laughs> the like garbage. The, yeah. the the the. iOS really did a number on DS, I think, um, and Nintendo kind of created its own demise there by popularizing touchscreen gaming and and making you know people who weren't really into video games say, oh, this is fun, I should play these games, you know, something like Nintendo Dogs or whatever, Animal Crossing. Like now, all those people play iOS games. It just trained them to play a game on their phone. They weren't going to buy the next system, right? But. On the other hand, it does mean that there's a lot less crap on 3DS, so it's easier to find the good stuff. We're just saying there there are no non-Japanese uh, published games in a, in like a retail form, are if there? If it's not a Lego game, I'm having trouble thinking of a non-Japanese <laughs> um, 3DS game. Let's see. Way Forward did Ninja Turtles. Okay. So, all right, non-licensed non-Japanese. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> now you're getting you're digging deep there. Yeah, I I really can't think of any like there's there've got to be a few there's there's got to be something and when someone mentions it I'm going to be like oh of remember that giant like when they announced the 3ds Awada behind him had that giant like or maybe it was Reggie but had that huge uh, bunch of like logos or like here's everything that's like that we've already signed on and like there was a Saints Row game on there and and a couple other like. Uh, American Boy, developers I that. that just kind of just shut down. Like, yeah, they were making a they were making a Saints Row. They were making a what is that DJ Hero? They were making a or did that come out? I, I don't. Think uh, I think they was. came out for yeah. DS, but not right. there was a Guitar Hero on DS. Yeah, yeah. 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 Is it's it fair time. to say that Dragon Quest Nine was kind of the DS's last hurrah on both sides mm. of the ocean? That was like summer of 2010, right for yeah. us. I would say I don't know. No, it was I would 09 say, in Japan. No, 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 black and white. Black and white was yeah. Yeah. How could you even forget that guy? That Actually, Black and White 2. Black and White 2, definitely. Yeah. God, that was like 2012? Because I just remember when Black and White came out, people were asking in, in interviews with Masuda, but just like, why, why did you do this, this for 3DS? Yeah, why isn't this 3DS? What's the deal? Because like, they money. were making X and Y because Pokemon has become an annual franchise. And people are like, no, it hasn't. I'm like, look back over the past five years. It's come out every single year. Well, also, they're kind of like Dragon Quest. They go where the money is, mm-hmm. and the money yeah. wasn't on 3DS yet. It was well, still they were, on the DS. I'm pretty sure they've been making, they had been making a Pokemon for the 3DS for a while, and they because they were making a whole new engine, they needed a stopgap, and that was mm-hmm. what Pokemon Black sure. and White Well, was. when you look at X and Y, they, had to, they made 3D character, new 3D character models for all 700-plus Pokemon. Yeah. Like, that takes a lot of time. So it does. In the, yeah. in, the, in, the, in the meantime, Black and White, let's just do that. So, yeah, I would say Black and White was pretty much the last hurrah because Dragon Quest VI came out at that time as well. Mm. And then after that, uh, it kind of – everything kind of dried up. The 3DS came out and that was that, I suppose. 
Yeah, the DS died almost immediately after the 3DS came out. I wouldn't say immediately. Mm, Kids were I mean, still getting it for Christmas. Well, it did die, but it was the piracy thing again. Yeah, yeah. it was – Nintendo cut its throat when it was already, like, at cancer. Right. And that's when games like uh, dark analogy. Miles Edgeworth 2 came out in Japan and, and there was, like, no way that is not coming here in any form. <laughs> the first Miles Edgeworth like one, garbage. Like, Miles Edgeworth they? 1 wasn't that good, was it? I liked it. I, liked, uh, I thought it was fun. But it's all, like – I played through the whole like, thing, so – the Phoenix Wright yeah. games always just kind of – they had a slow decline of just every – Yeah, game. I feel like they're always teetering Sales on the edge wise. of never coming here. Yeah, people should – I I was uh, – I wanted to just tell people that were mad. They're like, where's our physical release of this game? Like, you should be happy they even put it here. Like, you'd be happy that Phoenix Wright 5 even came here. And, and realize that, like, the Sherlock Holmes game, that might not come yeah, here. Yeah, I'm scared. I'm scared about that. Because, mm. because of the reaction to 5. Like, because what if somebody in Capcom is thinking – well, we could only do this digitally, and they gave us a bunch of crap when we did the last one digitally, so why bother? So to wrap this up, <laughs> that was a tangent. We want Phoenix Wright America. Okay. <laughs> to wrap this up, um, I'd like for everyone to name their three favorite DS games. Mm. It's going to be tough, but there's a lot to pick from. It's really tough. And two games that you think need more love and exposure. I'll uh, I'll let you guys think while I start. Um, so I'm going to have to say Dragon Quest Nine. Uh, the three best Dragon Quest Nine. Castlevania, Dawn of Sorrow. Mm. So many to pick from. Um, maybe the world ends with you. Wow. Games that need more love, I would say Sharon the Wanderer. And let's throw in something unexpected. Um, Scourge Hive. <laughs> really? Scourge. Why not? Okay. That's crazy. All right. Um Mine would be uh, definitely Advance Wars Dual Strike. Like, I played that endlessly. Was, was that the one that was just a port of the two GBA ones? No, no, no. It was it was a brand new game with oh, a bunch okay. of touchscreen stuff. Some called it too easy and other people didn't like that the main guy wears headphones and talks like a cool kid. But <laughs> it – It was Sunset Overdrive but early. <laughs> kind of was. Uh, but I loved it. Uh, then second – uh, would be Bowser's Inside Mario and Luigi Bowser's Inside Story. I think that was the most inventive of the Mario and Luigi games, and had like a, the funniest script. Like like Anaway's localization team was working top notch on that one. Yep. And she's uh, the third. What did you think about um, the most recent one? You know, honestly, called. like. I I enjoyed it, but like five hours in, I kind of stopped playing, and like it I'm, was so like there was just too much dialogue, and it was yeah, it, there was not it, it lacked the spark that Bowser's Inside Story have. Like it, Bowser's Inside Story had a lot of text, mm-hmm. but I never felt like it was talking down to me or just overly stupid. Yeah, or that it didn't it didn't take too many times to be like, let me explain to you again what's going to happen. See yeah. those five places? Walk that, that, that away. Same crap from Golden Sun. I'm God. staying so far away from that game. Yeah, I really want to like it. There's no there's no there few bigger Mario and Luigi series fans than me but uh, but anyway sorry my my third 
Uh, honestly, I put the most time into Devil Survivor, Shimigami Tensei Devil Survivor. Mm. Like, I played, I played the crap out of that. Are you uh, excited now that Break Record has been demonstrated to exist? Hell yeah. Break Record 2 or whatever? Well, yeah, I played, I played the crap out of it on DS, then played it another 70 hours for Overclocked, and, and then played 2. And 2 was really good, too. It just was, it, it wasn't as good. Oh. I'm, I'm talking too much. Uh, That's okay. The, all right. I can't forget. I, I can't believe I forgot to say um, Entering Odyssey. Oh, yeah. Or Strange Journey. Well, you're limiting yourself to three games. You, you, have, to, you have to kill We're some of them. We're all going to forget stuff. Yeah. Uh, then The Needs More Love. Dragon Quest Six, I would say. Uh, Dragon Quest Five, I think, has gotten enough love, and I do love Dragon Quest Five. Love, love, love it. But Six, a lot of people missed out on, is almost as good. I'd say just Six's a, job system isn't that good. I just got the, I just got it on DS recently. But the story I has, hate to be a killjoy. Eh, no, five. you don't. You love it. You're uh, relishing in it, Cat. And then second would, is uh, actually. Uh, Civilization Revolution. Uh, uh, <laughs> really? Like, for really? real. Like, okay, I, that's a good one. I got the DS version of that and like played it. It was like the first Civ game I'd played in a decade, and I just could not stop playing it like over and over again. And, and it, yeah, something about the like just the it made the general version of Civ work in with a touchscreen. Like hmm. I loved it. Interesting. Yeah, so I'm retracting my vote for um, <laughs> oh, man. World Ends with You and saying Etrine Odyssey because – that game really was a revelation for me, and I I don't know how many hours I sunk into That's it. That's the only one of the, I finished of that series, actually. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I I I didn't mention that before, I guess, because I'm making an active attempt not to gush about Etrian Odyssey all the <laughs> damn time because I'm sure it gets tedious. But yeah, I mean, if I've got to name my top three, it's definitely like that. That rates up there. I just I love that game so much. Hmm. I'm sure, I'll have one that I'll just go like, oh, when I think of that later. But I'm, I'm pretty sure. Later. I'm pretty sure about mine if I can if I can name them. And uh, one of them is one of Henry's actually. If we're allowed to have some spillover, what? and that's Bowser's Inside Story. It is it is the peak of the Mario and Luigi series. And I stayed the hell away from Partners. Wait, what was it? Um, what's Partners the one in time. What's the one that came Luigi's after? Luigi's Sleepy Nap Time. Yeah, whatever the hell that was. I, I can't remember what it's the, called. The fact that it's it's that bad, or at least it's a good game, is hidden behind so much like talkiness. Really upsets me because I love Bowser's Inside Story. But my other two games are uh, Dragon Quest Nine because I can play that game forever, and That's I really would love a uh, like a 3DS remake or like a high res remake or something that I can play it on a newer system where it looks a little better. Yeah, I asked at PAX if they were going to um, include that in their string of iOS remakes, and they said no because it uses too many DS specific versions. Like I Street see. Pass. Okay, like they feel like Street Passing and the N. And and the maps and everything are way too integral to the uh, to the Dragon Quest Nine experience, and they can't mm-hmm. do that on iOS. I would commit so many murders for Dragon Quest Nine on 3DS. Uh, Just putting yeah, that like out there. Who HD do you want remaster? dead? Yeah, man. Yeah. Oh God, I would. That would be the end of me. So um, <laughs> that and that and Dragon or Final Fantasy Twelve for Vita, like that would be that would be it. <laughs> okay, so my my other pick for top three games is a Phoenix Wright Three. I think it's called Trials and Tribulations or Justice for All. No, it's called Justice for All. And most people only probably played the first Phoenix Wright game, and what they don't know is the three games tell the story of Phoenix Wright from start to finish. They, they like, pretty much close out that character, which is why there are no um, – he does not feature as heavily into the other games because his story is over. So, like, I really love how those three games tell a story across a trilogy like that, and it's a great story. Um, and as far as two games I feel deserve more uh, love, I have uh, Ghost Trick. 
which is the Chu Takumi right. uh, Phoenix Ray Creator's next puzzle, um, sorry, next adventure game. It's completely different. It's completely weird, but it is like an evolution of the adventure game genre that unfortunately sold like shit because it came out in like 2010 for the DS. And it was a new IP too, So, um, but it's a gorgeous game. It has these puzzles you've never seen before. It's not as talky as Phoenix Wright. It is just a great evolution of that style. And the other game I will also recommend is 999, uh, Nine Persons, Nine Hours, Nine Doors, which is a great visual novel. That ties into a sequel, which will never be completed. I'm sorry, the third game will never come out because the sequel didn't sell, but 999 is fantastic. It's available on iOS, actually. It cuts the puzzles out, but it's just as interesting as far as the story goes, and I'll I'll shut up now. I love Dragon Quest V. It was the first Dragon Quest I ever played, actually. Which did, is, all of us, did all of us name a Dragon Quest game? We did. I think so, yeah. Oh, Dragon so Quest V nice. was really, really good. And I first played it in 2010, 2011, which I'm way late to the party, I know, for somebody who likes RPGs. But I was blown away by, first of all, how dark it could be. Oh, my uh, God. The story, yeah. like, I was like, wait a minute. Did, when you, did when that you're just stuck happen forever to him? watching someone else's children grow up? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man, like they, they're just like how? Uh, how could they? He murders your father, and then you, then he's a slave. He steals your children away from you. I played Dragon uh. Quest V for the first time right after Dragon Age Two, and Dragon Age Two had made a big deal about having a ten-year arc across mm. the city of Kirkwall, and it was handled so poorly. But Dragon Quest V did it across the course of like what twenty-five years, and it was handled brilliantly. Who did and you marry? Oh, uh, Bianca. Okay. I picked the, I picked the comedy option, the, the mean oh, wife. Nice. Yeah, yeah, she was great. Deborah? Deborah, yeah. <laughs> I love I, I I need to play through again. I have a save file right before the, the marriage, the choice. So um, someday I'm going to go back and, and see what happens because I've, I've heard it's pretty great. It um, is great. Her reactions to everything, like she does not want to be here. She just is like, just <laughs> like, I, I, this adventure stuff is BS. I'm out of here. And I love that the fortune teller just tells you like, oh, no, you're not the chosen one. Like They make it very clear early in the game, like, you're not the chosen one. You don't save the day. Put it this way. Dragon Quest 4 through 6, pretty much essential buys and plus 9, essential buys on the Nintendo DS. If you get a DS, just go out and buy them. You can get them on Amazon. They're, they're not that expensive. Yep. Um, the world ends with you. I'm going to say because that's actually one of my favorite games ever. Um, I love the story in that game, and a lot of it was that I used to pass pass through Shibuya on a regular basis on the way to work. So that was kind of like my neighborhood. I loved Shibuya. So to spend to go to have that rendered in the game in such a cool way, and it was so clever and. The way that the characters managed to grow, it was really experimental. It's a great game. Um, it might be better on iPad at this point, but mm-hmm. regardless of how you play it, I strongly recommend it. And great soundtrack, too. Yeah, my friend had uh, – last year when I went to uh, Japan for a work thing, my, my coworker had just beaten it. And I was like, well, let's, come on. Let's go to Shibuya. I'll show you around. He's like, oh, there's that thing. Now yeah. we're under that bridge. There's that game those so, heads. That like, game where's so, all the frog ghosts? <laughs> that game so totally nails kind of the culture there. It's, it's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and the final game that I'm going to say is Os Tatakae Oendan 2, which – I think it's kind of it was controversial. Cat, I I liked Oendon too. I liked the soundtrack actually, um, the best. I I liked it better than Oendon one's soundtrack, Mm -hmm. and I like it better than Elite Beat Agents. Um, If I were to pick one of those games to get on the DS, I'd probably get that one. And I think that while Americans were unfortunately shortchanged on that series, 
they are really, really good, and you should absolutely own one if you have a Nintendo DS. Even if you get one in Japanese, you don't have to really know Japanese to enjoy it. It's great. So as for the games that deserve more love, uh, people probably don't remember this game. It's called Infinite Space. It's pretty rare, actually. Mm. It's one of the three games that was announced when Platinum like first appeared on the scene. They announced, what, Bayonetta? They Mad announced World. Mad World and they announced Infinite Space and everybody completely ignored Infinite Space. But I was I like, wait that a minute, was a platinum game? It is, sorry, I forgot that was a platinum game. It is a platinum. Yeah, game. It was one of their first. I was I was ushered immediately after the announcement into interviews with the team for that game, and I was like, I, I have no idea what this game is about, guys. Help me out here. <laughs> My first ever like TGS kind of in the press was TGS 2008, and I did work with One Up. And Jeremy graciously gave his appointments for Infinite Space to me. And I came Mm -hmm. out going, oh, my God, they made this game for me. It's this anime space battleship game (laughs) where you're on a sprawling adventure across the universe. And it was kind of ridiculous because it should have been a PC game with the kind of scope they had. They had like – it was a visual novel and also you're building a fleet. You're customizing your ships. And then you're also doing away missions with these kind of rock, paper, scissor, like, battles. It didn't always hang together, especially the ground missions. But it was big and it was interesting and ambitious. And if you like Japanese sci-fi in particular, you really should be playing this game. The other game that I'm going to say is Super Robot Tyson W, which is not the best Super Robot Wars, admittedly. But I think it's the best entry point to the series. It still holds up pretty well really pushes the DS's graphics to the limits. And it has a lot of Japanese robot series that Americans will probably recognize, Gundam Wing, Voltron, that sort of thing. Ava? It was actually the first game that I... uh, No, Ava's not in that one. It's in in another one. Okay. Um, It was actually the first one that I... No, a beast for you. (laughs) It was the first one that I ever played in the series, and it just immediately grabbed me with its kind of the combination of the soundtracks, the strategy, and the... And the graphics. So if you happen to be in Japan, you'll probably find it in a bargain bin for 500 yen. So go and get it. I have one thing I want to add before we get out of here is that, like, I love Rhythm Heaven on the GBA. I love the Wii version. But Rhythm Heaven DS is so hard. It's crappy. I like the idea behind it. What makes me mad about it is I'm not trying to call anyone a fake gamer girl, but there is a commercial with Beyonce playing Rhythm Heaven Gold. I'm like, you are. there's no way Beyonce is beating, like, three levels in that game because it's just, like, (laughs) me, like. She's got rhythm. I guess so, but you, like... You, Bob. Maybe I just don't have rhythm. That could be it. Didn't Nintendo give out free copies of that game to the press um, after their press conference? I wasn't part that of the was, press That was then. Brain Age. Yeah. That was Brain Age? Okay. Oh, also WarioWare DIY. That, that might be what you're thinking of. Oh, uh, mm, yes. Yeah. Okay. The DS. That was a game that needs some extra love, too. That was yeah. a crazy game. I just wish Rhythm Heaven Gold was better. But mm. All right. I didn't actually talk about the games that I like. I just named them, and then you guys wanted <laughs> me. So... So really fast. Dragon Quest Nine. I already talked about it. That's a game I can just play forever. Uh, I Have I actually beaten the final boss? I can't remember, but I've put impossible numbers of hours into it. Just running around, doing the Alconomicon, trying to find stuff and make stuff. It's just super addictive. Um, Castlevania Dawn of Sorrow. Um, I personally feel it's the best of the post-Symphony of the Night Castlevanias. It just really nailed... 
Um, it, it did a great job of taking the soul system from Aria of Sorrow and making a more elaborate adventure around it. I'm not crazy about the art style, but whatever. Uh, I can also live without the stupid seal drawing system from back in that era where mm. everyone was like, we got to do something with a touchscreen before they realized, oh, and actually we don't. Um, so a little bit of a misstep there, but still a fantastic Metroidvania-style game. Um, Etrian Odyssey, yeah, just great RPG. Um, on the... Um, the more love front, Scourge Hive actually started life as a Game Boy Advance game, and it's very much a descendant of that sort of 8-bit European isometric action-adventure game, kind of exploratory, um, with a, but it feels very Metroid-ish, and there's this really interesting mechanic where you're um, kind of like constantly worrying about a timer as you run around because after the timer hits zero, it counts all the way down, uh, your character becomes corrupted by this alien infection. So you always have to like kind of keep your surroundings in mind and, and stay close to some place where you can purge that out of your system and restart the countdown. A pretty interesting game that I think it was an early DS game before anyone was buying the system, so no one really knew about it. Um, and then Sharon the Wanderer was a port of a um, Super Famicom roguelike, and it's kind of the definitive console roguelike. And, and personally, I feel like the the classic... Roguelike has never been done better on a console. Like it really just nailed everything. It 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 breaks a lot of the roguelike rules. Like there is some persistence in the world, but that just makes it better. Hmm. Um, a challenging game, and it it like I know a lot of people who have given it a fair shot and realized, oh yeah, okay, the roguelike genre is really cool. It's actually not stupid and horrible and abusive and, and broken like I thought it was. Yeah. So The DS was where I played my first roguelike game. Is the that Izuna, the broken ninja? Ah, uh, yeah, Izuna, the unemployed ninja. Unemployed ninja, yeah. That was fun. I, I it, was, have, it was an okay roguelike, yeah. yeah. I have one more if I could just jump in. Uh, Great. Okay, bah, we are getting to get out of here rules. soon, believe me. Uh, th- I'm not, this is not part of any list, but I just remember Lunar Nights. Th- did anyone play that? I liked it a lot. Um, I gave it a better review than it probably oh, deserved. Yeah, I didn't like game. it nearly as much as the original box. It, it was easier to play, though. <laughs> it, made, it made that style was, like, less but... demanding on like conditions outside. But that was part of the appeal of Baktai. Like I liked the fact that Baktai was just like, no, screw you. You're going to play the game the way I said you play the game. Mm. <laughs> Um, I liked it, it. I don't know. Like it was, it was okay, but it just it didn't click for me the same way Boktai did. Still totally a good game. Well, we didn't talk about any Zelda games. I feel like those were because uh, they were bad. No, they weren't. They were good. I hate. No, they spe- I don't. I don't they like Spirit Tracks. Phantom Hourglass was terrible. No, it Touching wasn't. bad. Phantom Hourglass is the worst Zelda game I have ever it's played. It's not a bad game. They weren't. Yes, bad. it is it's a bad really game. Uh, that spe- temple is awful. Spirit Tracks is worse. Cat. No, it's not. Spirit Tracks is a much better game with better dungeons. I'm not blown into that fucking DS for one more second. That's our first swear word of this episode, by the way. Do now we have, have to put a, the explicit rating. Do we have on. a postscript from the Nintendo DS? A postscript? Well, it's uh, going to be on the Wii. An epitaph? Well, it's on the Wii U now in Japan. Like, can't you buy Brain Age on? Really? Uh, I think there. Yeah, the one. Like, it, there's going to be a DS Virtual Console at some point. Because <laughs> that know, was Nintendo the is plan. with a. With Virtual Console. Oh, we have a touchscreen now? Finally, we can emulate DS games and sell them again. I think ultimately the DS is one of my favorite handhelds ever. It might be the favorite handheld ever. It's one of my favorite systems ever. One of my favorite mm. systems ever. It it introduced me to so many different and interesting games that I still love to this day. And I still like, often break out my uh, DS games and put them into my 3DS and keep playing them because they hold up fairly well. I mean, I'm I'm not someone who does a lot of game collecting, um, but I have a box that's probably 24 by 18 by 18 that is 
just completely full of DS games. I mean, mm. all all in their packages. It's not just like <laughs> naked carts. That would that would be ridiculous. It's not too hard to find DS games uh, used at GameStop these yeah, days. Yeah, but you have to be careful that they're not pirated. That's a really that's, yeah. People piracy. will pirate them and then just put the little like the label on them. There's a lot of a lot of problem with pirated uh, DS games. Wow. It happened with me with Game Boy Advance games. I bought those yeah. on eBay. Yep. I was like, oh, this super rare games that's on eBay, cool. And then it boy, came this in cartridge was, looks funny. Man. It's a Nintendo. Right? <laughs> yep. Yeah, Maybe. I've been buying a few DS games recently to catch up on things I miss, and they're pretty cheap. Like I got Mario, Mario WarioWare DIY and Dragon Quest for like under twenty bucks each. Dragon Quest yeah, Six. Yeah, there are some games that have gone way up in price, like uh, the yeah. Rune Factory games. Or yeah, you wanted those. Sorry. Infinite Space is probably about $100 yep. more yeah. at this point. <laughs> Which makes me sad because I got rid of my copy and I kind of want to play it after hear you talk, hearing you talk about it. I guess that's it then. Um, so we talked a long time about DS. And the, the spirit of the system still lives on through the 3DS, which of course uh, continues to play DS games, even with the new 3DS that is coming out or will have already been out by the time this really episode goes up. Um so, yeah, it's definitely a landmark for Nintendo, and I think they would really like to recapture that level of success again. Uh, it paved the way for the Wii. Um, it really was this kind of last bastion for a lot of old-school Japanese developers who really aren't doing any work anymore. Like, it, it does kind of represent a sort of send-off to a way of gaming that is really pretty much vanished at this point. So... There's a lot of history and a lot of legacy built into the DS. And, um, you know, there are a hundred great games for the system. It's, it's ridiculous how many games you can find. I mean, yeah, like Bob said, there's just shelves and shelves of crap. But amidst that crap, there's so much good stuff. Um, and, you know, I would, I would say most of the games that were appealing on DS, because they started out already kind of dated, you know, they were running on this really old technology. It was 10 years old at the time. Um, like they haven't aged. They, they are as predated now as they were at the time that they launched. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, great, great gameplay is timeless. I don't need 1080p 60 frames a second to have a great game experience. And the DS sure couldn't do those specs. Uh, and it didn't need to, because there was just creativity, imagination, quality, passion. Like it, that's, that's what the system was about. So, um, not a not a bad decade for uh, for portable gaming. I hope that portable gaming continues to be a viable format for some time to come. Because I really don't like iOS gaming that much. I like my D pad and my buttons. Here, nice. here. So keep that 3ds alive, Nintendo. God damn it, you <laughs> owe us. Anyway, that's it for this episode of Retronauts. Um, as usual, you can find us on the internet at retronauts.com. You can find us at usgamer.net, where half of us work. Um, sadly, Bob's no longer with us. Sorry, guys. Uh, wow, was that, that, was that this episode? Man, yeah. That seems like so long ago. Uh, <laughs> no, Bob did not actually defect over the game's radar. <laughs> oh, Or did joke. I? We'll find out. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm never sure if people can tell sarcasm over the radio. Especially me, sorry. <laughs> Everything I say sounds Did you hear Bob Mackey quit? <laughs> There, they fired him. Uh, we're also on Twitter as Retronauts. YouTube is Retronauts1, apparently. Tumblr is Retronauts. Uh, we're on this thing called Patreon. Oh, yeah. Let's talk Patreon, about that. Patreon, whatever, where you can give us money. As little as 50 cents a month. If you give us a dollar a month, you'll get early access to our episodes, which is kind of cool. 
Um, but your contributions, they help keep this podcast happening because it does cost money to do this podcast. We rent space. We rent uh, online services. We pay money for travel. Uh, one of our stretch goals, in fact, is going out to an event, and we're going to be doing that one sometime. So, you know, we need your love, we need your help, and we need your money. And I don't like, you know, holding out the begging cap, but that is that is how this podcast is continuing to happen. So Let's your support makes it, makes it alive. What's that URL, Jeremy? It's patreon.com slash retronauts. Pretty, pretty easy. Pretty easy. I think you guys can handle it. You're awesome. Um, anyway, so everyone, tell me about yourselves. You over there in the corner. Oh, okay. Start for us. Uh, I am Henry Gilbert, and you'll find my stuff on gamesradar.com. I write a bunch of fun reviews and previews and more features, actually, like uh, fun gallery-style features. Click through every every slide, guys. Uh, and you can follow me uh, on Twitter, H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. That's my Twitter handle. And also I do stuff on the – I do other podcasts, non-game related, on the Laser Time Podcast Network. So go to lasertimepodcast.com to check that out. I guess I'll go. Hi, I'm Bob Mackey. I'm a uh, Taurus, and I and I work for U.S. Gamer. I also write for Something Awful, and just recently I made the showrunner of The Simpsons sad. So check that out, <laughs> and uh, I will destroy your life one day too. I'm Cap Bailey. You can find me on Twitter at the underscore Catbot. I write about Pokemon a lot these days over on U.S. Gamer. And if you enjoy sports and you also listen to Retronauts and you're one of these <laughs> rare people, <laughs> one of, and you're one of those rare people like me, well, go check out the Press Row podcast, which I am also on, where I talk about Madden and FIFA and NHL and all those things. Um, come join me. And finally, I'm Jeremy Parrish. My Twitter handle is GameSpite. I also have a Tumblr GameSpite um, and a website, GameSpite.net. It's a theme. Um, on the side, I have a little thing I do called USGamer.net. Oh, wait. No, actually, that's not the side. That's my that's my day job. That's my Clark Kent. Now we know how you feel and about then, it. <laughs> and then it, when I'm Superman, I'm uh, on a site called GameBoyWorld.com where I'm foolishly chronicling the history of the Game Boy. And I also have a uh, – no, I'll – never mind. That's enough. Um, <laughs> my fingers are in a lot of pies. So anyway, um, keep reading Retronauts.com and usgamer.net and uh, vote for us on iTunes and stuff because we're cool and you love us and we're going to be famous someday. I just know it. It's only taken eight years to get us to this point, by God. (laughs) Yes? I'm so disappointed in myself for not being a retro game challenge. That's also – that one deserved way more love. Uh, If Ray were here. I love that game. That's an amazing game. All right, just want to say that. <laughs> that game needs more love. That's a that's a more love we game. We can all agree on that. Yeah. All right. So, everyone, go buy yourself a copy of Retro Game Challenge, Trick X Seed into thinking, wait, maybe we need to localize the sequel after all. And Here, until... You're making me cry, Jeremy. Stop <laughs> it. Until next time, we're Retronauts, and video games are best when they're old. <laughs> <laughs>